Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Yeah. With what is going on in the Middle East, and it is leaderless and rudderless, those are clearly part of the stakes uh, for what's going on here in Washington, not just with House Republicans, but really for the House of Representatives as a whole here in Washington. I think no, it's, absolutely. It's and I know you'll be all over it if they have another vote. Uh, they probably yep. will, but that doesn't mean that they'll have a speaker. So good luck yep. with everything. We'll be watching certainly over the next right. hour. <laughs> Thanks, Connell. Great show. We'll catch you uh, here tomorrow. Uh, and hello and welcome to The Hill. So what is going on with Republicans up on Capitol Hill? Today it was Jim Jordan's turn. The Ohio Republican trying to become the next Speaker of the House, but falling short. So what happens next? And does anyone actually know? Plus, the New York Times writing a fairly glowing piece about a conservative Supreme Court justice? It happened. We'll show it to you and tell you what Amy Coney Barrett publicly had to say. And we are live in Israel as a hospital in Gaza suffers casualties. What uh, those on both sides are saying as it relates to the very latest out of the Middle East. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. There is a lot going on here in the U.S., here in the Middle East. Hello. Thank you for being with us here on the Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Max Rose, of course, a former Democratic congressman from New York. Lauren Wright is an associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs at Princeton University. Kurt Bardella is a Democratic strategist. And Kara Frederick is the director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation. Hello to you all. Feels like a really big and consequential day, especially a consequential moment right now where everything stands. We begin tonight with major developments in Israel. A deadly strike at a hospital in Gaza is being investigated. Israelis and Palestinians right now are blaming each other. Robert Sherman, our man on the ground in Tel Aviv, live for us once again. Robert, uh, we just started learning about this here within the last few hours. What do we know? What can you tell us? Yeah, there's still a lot of information that's coming in right now, Blake, but here are the facts that we do know is, is that it appears as though there was an explosion at a hospital in Gaza. We don't know exactly what the uh, what, what the casualty rate is like, but all the reports that are coming in indicate that it's potentially high in terms of what exactly happened here. You mentioned it. There's a lot of finger pointing. You have some who are contending that this was an Israeli airstrike. The Israelis are pushing back on all of this. I want to show you what the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, had to say. He just put this online a short while ago saying, quote unquote, the whole world knew the barbarian terrorists in Gaza are the ones who attacked the hospital in Gaza, not the IDF. He who brutally murdered our children also murders his children. 
emphasize, you hear this back and forth going on right now, you can chalk this all up to the proverbial quote unquote fog of war, what have you. What is going on indisputably right now in the Middle East, we are approaching a boiling point here. I want to show you what's going on in the West Bank right now. You see demonstrations that have started to break out there as people are gathering angry, furious about what has happened here. And it's not just in Palestine in which we're seeing this. Now I want to show you the Israeli embassy in Jordan, where dozens of people have been converging on that embassy there, voicing their displeasure. There is a lot of anger. There is a lot of fury around the region as to what has happened here with this hospital as all these details come in. Some not taking any uh, any risk as to what the next few steps are going to be. Israel's National Security Council has raised the travel warning to Turkey to its highest level, telling all citizens to leave the country as quickly as possible. And this all comes on a day in which we have seen the rhetoric heightening here throughout the region. You had Jordan's king in Germany talking about how the goal was to not let this conflict spill outside of Israel and Gaza. But you had Iran's supreme leader saying earlier today, quote unquote, if the crimes continue, Muslims and resistance forces will be impatient and nobody will be able to stop them. I cannot emphasize enough, Blake, how important it is to have every single fact buttoned up here and for there not to be any guesses or speculation to this whole situation in Gaza because we are approaching a very tumultuous situation here in the Middle East at this hour, Blake. Yeah, and as you say, a potential boiling point. Robert Sherman live for us once again in Israel tonight. Robert, stay safe. Thank you. Well, as for President Biden, he is preparing to leave the White House uh, momentarily as he begins his trip to Israel. While the president has been strongly in support of Israel's actions, he's also been emphasizing the needs of the Palestinian people in some of his recent comments. Um, hello to you all once again. Uh, Robert, I think, brilliantly sort of laid out where we are. This is a feels like a consequential moment. And Max, uh, there's a lot at stake here for the commander in chief flying to the Middle East, going to Israel at this point in time. What is at stake as you see it? So first of all, it's incredibly courageous what the president is doing. For all intents and purposes, he is a human shield not just uh, for the Israeli people, but also for uh, a reduction in the conflict while he is there. I, no one should take that lightly, what, what he is doing. But secondly, the, the president has walked a very fine line where no one doubts where he stands, boldly, resolutely in support of Israel, but also in hopes of uh, reducing or eliminating the number of innocent Palestinians dying and seeing an end to this conflict, both in the short term as well as the long term. And him going there is just such a powerful statement uh, of those values. Uh, as you see it, what's at stake for the president? He's got to go. I mean, I think some of the most memorable remarks he's ever made have been his comments in solidarity of Israel, and he should absolutely continue that all day, every day. And logistically, of course, Course. There are considerations. It's very hard to move a president amidst a war, I would say. It's really important to emphasize Israel's at war. Uh, he needs to do this. The communication is important strategically. Maybe he'll get some things that he wants. Uh, but for Israel, this is really important to see. And I'll just say very quickly, we are at a time where public opinion is shifting, right. especially among Democrats, to sympathies with Palestine. That is very frightening for some Israelis watching that happen in the United States. And so the fact that Biden is making a strong stance on this could not be more consequential. I, I applaud him for it. 
Yeah, and credit where credit's due. I'm no fan of Joe Biden, as we know from this program, but but he is doing a good thing by going to Israel. However, there's new Rasmussen polling. The New York Post reported it out. October, 66% of voters believe that Israel has no choice but to seek the complete eradication of Hamas in Gaza. So I think he does stand to gain uh, some approval by going to Israel and making another good speech like he did before. It's so beyond uh, politics, which it, I, I it absolutely, probably it, it absolutely And when you yeah. cite that poll, it goes to show, Kurt, there are going to be some really tough decisions that the commander in chief, it, it feels like, is going to have to make at some point here in the upcoming days and weeks. Yeah, and I think this is why this is such an opportunity for the president to kind of step above the typical partisanship that we see. And I mean, we're seeing it right now unfold on the floor of the House of Representatives on some level, and he can elevate himself above that. This is an area where the powers of the presidency are very well defined. He doesn't need Congress to go be the president on the world stage and to show the rest of the world that this is what the adult in the room actually looks like. While there's chaos internally here amongst one of our branches of government, he can rise above that and showcase to the world that there is stability, that there is strategy, that there is going to be that sense of instead of chaos, and I think that this is an opportune moment for the president to be able to do that. You know, there, there was a headline that, that grabbed a lot of attention today. It came from Axios probably at around like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, just a couple hours ago here on the East Coast. It was this. A scoop, White House has discussed U.S. military response if Hezbollah attacks Israel. On the one hand, I thought to myself, isn't the military supposed, I mean, you're in the military, sure. aren't they supposed to tabletop these sorts of things? Like, it's, is that the way you think of it, or is it that there might actually be something there? Uh, that's, that's not a scoop. I mean, the, the uh, a, a scoop would be White House did not discuss <laughs> potential military response. Yeah. I mean, that was my first is, thought. I'm like, wait a minute, like, and I'm not bashing the reporting, but it just goes, you know, it's the question of like, are, are we table topping this, or is this actually no, I, a real I'll, thing? I'll bash the reporting. That, that's a ridiculous headline. The look, the 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 truth of the matter is, is that this is a very complex and very tenuous situation, which goes well beyond just Israel and Hamas in Gaza, where we're looking at Iran, Hezbollah. You, the earlier reporting shows what's happening in Jordan, Turkey, and well beyond, to say nothing of the fact that China and Russia are clearly uh, invested in the perpetuation of this conflict. So I'm not surprised to see that. Nan Hayworth, former uh, Republican congresswoman from the state of New York, your state. Uh, come on in, Nan. Uh, I heard as you were listening um, that something was said that, that you were shaking your head. What was it? Well, while President Biden has said the right things about Israel, and hooray for that, uh, my advice to everyone would be, but watch the hands, watch the money. Where has the money been going and where has it been flowing? And there is no question, sadly, that under uh, President Obama's administrations and now under the Biden administration, with a conspicuous hiatus uh, almost completely during the Trump administration, uh, billions of dollars uh, have, of capital flows have been facilitated, if not directly, uh, from the United States to Iran, and certainly uh, via U.S. actions that have facilitated enormous infusions, for example, of petrodollars, basically, of uh, certainly of, of monies going toward uh, oil production. And part of that has to do with so-called green policies, and some of it has to do very directly with lenience toward Iran. And President Biden hasn't apologized for that. Uh, and you know what? Israel knows it. The government of Israel knows it. The Israeli people probably know it, too. And that is a problem that President Biden has yet to solve.
All right. Uh, Nan, uh, stay with us because there's something else I think you might have a thought or two about. <laughs> the open-ended question that seemingly has no answer. Who will be the next Speaker of the House? And with it... Uh, come, of course, the potential global consequences as well, considering the ha- House right now is virtually shut down as tensions rise by the hour inside the Middle East. We'll get into the rumblings and possibilities in a moment here. But first, did you see this earlier today? Jim Jordan on the House floor. Look at this picture. Look closely. Huddled up, intently watching. Right behind him, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy enjoying one of those. A good old laugh. Now, we don't know the context here, of course, but I think it just goes to show a picture is worth a thousand words. And Kevin McCarthy is like, I'm out of this. Your turn. Or is he? You know? Or is he? Yeah, is he? I don't know. What do you think? You don't think he is? I don't know. I would like to see Kevin McCarthy in a very slim possibility come back and be speaker again. I mean, the job it takes to get this position is the same as Max knows better than any of us as the wheeling and dealing that's required behind the scenes. So let's see if Jordan can even get that done. I don't know if he can. Okay, so just to hit the pause button, Jim Jordan went on the House floor earlier today, got 200 votes, needs 217. It appears, if you know, next go around, he might actually lose some is, is now starting to be the thinking. So the question is, what happens next? This is your party. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. And as I've said before, again, on this program, democracy is messy. Watching the process oh. go forward. I think it's educational. I think it's great. Oh, but I, you wouldn't be saying I, that I, if it was on the yeah. Democrat side. I don't know. Democrats are fond of saying that to begin with. But, but I think this is the problem. And especially among the grand old party, of which I'm a part, we think that it is fresh faces that we're not, frankly, allowed to, to serve when we're you know spending money against each other each other. I've talked about it before again, but the unity that Democrats show, you know, everyone seems to fall in line and and figure out a way to, you know, the talking points go out, everyone disseminates them. This is what happens. In the Republican Party, we we are fractious. We have a lot of ideas. And I do think we need to take a page out of your guys' book and unite for the fact that look at everything that's going on in the world. We do need to contest that. It's important. So there's probably going to be another vote here. Maybe tonight. I, I don't know. We don't know. Again, the theme here is we don't know. Follow along with us. Uh, we're all trying to figure it out. When I walked in, I was said to the former congressman, hello, nice to see you. Uh, who do you think it's going to be? And you said? It's Zeldin. Lee Zeldin, who is yeah. currently? Not in Congress. A private citizen. Yeah. Um, explain. Well, for, first of all, it's a little-known fact that you do not have to be a sitting member of Congress to be elected speaker. And as you look at what's happening, look, those 20 people are not going to flip for Jim Jordan That's crazy, right? What you need in any speaker is someone who can activate the base, raise a lot of money, and be acceptable in purple districts. And sometimes, to my chagrin, although he's a friend of mine, Lee is capable of all three. Um, So I think he got three votes today. I think that those votes will only increase. Certainly, they'll think about Patrick McHenry. Certainly, they'll they'll, they'll think about the janitor at one point or another. But but Lee Lee Zeldin, (laughs) I I do believe, has a really striking chance here. But don't you think you need to know the rules of the place and the structure I well, mean, he, don't you well, want he, he someone... Was a, he was a member for, yeah. he was a, member for, for a decade. But from leadership, potentially. Oh, uh, you know, no one knows what the hell they're doing in Congress, no matter how, <laughs> many, no matter how long... Did you say that when you were in it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when I was in it. So, so you know, I, I think anyone can can learn that process. Kevin McCarthy didn't, didn't know. Jim Jordan sure as hell wouldn't, well, have, right. wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. have known. But those 20 votes, when you look at some of those folks... 
The entire worry, and it's very well founded, is that Jim Jordan cannot go anywhere near a swing district. Totally. He can go to, you know, the uh, January 6th party, but he cannot go anywhere near a swing Nan, district. Uh, oh, Nan, come on back in. Um, you know, you're watching well, this from afar. From a swing district, by the way, right? You represented a swing yes. district. Um, I did. Mike Lawler, who's the current con- Yeah, he's yeah. not voting for Jim Jordan because of... In- no. I guess the, the point that Max is making. But as you sit back and view this from 30,000 feet, you're, um, I see the smile on your face now, but I don't know. Well, I, I agree with Max. Uh, he's absolutely right. Uh, does not have to be a member of Congress, and a current member to be Speaker. Can be anybody they elect. Um, and he's also right that a great number of members, and I'll cop to that myself, do not know parliamentary procedure when they're elected to the House. That's not a prerequisite, Uh, nor is it to be speaker, and that's why we have wonderful parliamentarians. But what you see going on right now, Mike Lawler represents the district uh, in which I live, in which I once represented. It is comprised very closely. In fact, it's a a plurality Democrat district. Uh, So he is voting in accord with his constituents' sentiments. And they probably don't lie, plurality do not lie with Jim Jordan for many reasons, fair or not. Uh, so he's, he's being asked to walk the plank uh, to vote for Jim Jordan. Uh, and Republicans are very good at asking <laughs> the swing district members to walk the plank. I think it's because we are fundamentally, we are a more uh, independent, less uh, internally transactional caucus, if you will. Uh, you know, they, they, these folks tend to be uh, deeply committed ideologically to uh, what they believe in. you know, in. Nan, I could, and- I could sit back and just, it's the same thing I said to Kara. Like, some of that stuff just sounds like, frankly, excuses, right? And at the bottom well, line, does it come to yeah. the, the question of, like, why can't you get your act together? No, well, Blake, you're exactly right. I agree. They should get their act together, absolutely. Uh, and from the angle of someone like me, uh, living where I do and serving where I serve, uh, you know, I would like the folks from the reddest districts uh, with whom I sympathize uh, to to choose uh, a candidate who would be more centrist. Steve Scalise was a good choice. Patrick McHenry would be a good choice. And they're the ones who have the least to lose by doing that. And they're the ones whom we need to ask to swallow hard and take a vote that will save the members they need next time whose elections actually are on the line. All right. All right. Uh, over to the Capitol real quick. Uh, Joe Kay, been in the Capitol hallways all day. Joe, uh, I got 30 seconds here, but really wanted to go to you. What are you, what are you hearing? What happens next? So in uh, 30 seconds, uh, I can tell you, I just now... <laughs> Less than 30 seconds ago, got some breaking news. There is not going to be any more votes for Speaker tonight. Jim Jordan's office confirms for us they're going home, and tomorrow at 11 a.m., they are planning on picking this back up. So read that as you will. I can tell you, according to my sources, that is not a good indication for where Jim Jordan is now and his efforts to win over votes that he didn't have before. Is that 30 seconds? Uh, it was, and I'll give you another thirty, and we'll pull it from somewhere else from the show. So, what? What? Now that you now that you know this and report this, um, like yeah. what? Like what's next? Like, wh- like where do they go? So, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I've been asking people that. The answer I just got from one source was, we literally know nothing. So if that gives you any indication... <laughs> Welcome to my world, right? I mean, right that's, that's the... Um, like, yeah. hold on. I think that is so instructive yeah. for, for folks at home. Like, we do this for a living. Kara's shaking her head, yes. We do this for a living. You just spoke to a member of Congress, and, and what we're all saying here is... No idea. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's what right. I can tell you. I've been hearing from sources who are people close to Jim Jordan that in this next round of voting, whenever it does happen, uh, he may not need to win over every of the 20 members that voted against him, but he needs to get back some. He needs to show positive momentum. Otherwise, uh, he's in right. big trouble, and the optics of that alone are going to lose him some more votes, is, is what I'm hearing. Joe Kay, thank you for the breaking news. Dan Hayworth, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, and before we, before we go, despite all the partisan infighting for Speaker, there was a nice bipartisan moment on the House floor today for the Alaska Congresswoman Mary Patola. She lost her husband in a plane crash last month. Watch. Peltola, Jeffries. That was a standing O from the entire uh, member of the House, from the entire body. Her husband died in a plane crash, and it was just a moment there on the House floor. Democrats, Republicans standing up and taking a moment to honor him and to honor her. For all the noise, all the chaos, consider that moment there. Coming up, former President Trump appearing in court today, and he shared a few of his thoughts on Israel while he was there. What the former president said when The Hill on News Nation returns. Israel at war. Tensions continue to flare up here in the Middle East. Senior officials saying that they are prepared for a ground invasion. There is a war here. That's the only way it can be played out. For continuing coverage of Israel at war, stay tuned to News Nation. All right, well, former President Trump was back in court today for his ongoing civil fraud trial in New York City. The former president spoke with reporters throughout the day. He was even asked if he was going to speak with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Here's part of his response. We'll see what's happening. It's a terrible thing that happened with Israel. Should have never happened, and it would have never happened. Kurt, it feels like some of this, from what we've heard out of the former president over the last couple of days, is a bit of cleanup for the comments. You know, Hezbollah is, quote, very smart. They're all very smart. Yeah, this was one of the first times that I can remember where almost universally everybody was like, that's not the right thing to say there. Uh, you don't usually see, particularly from Republicans, frankly, uh, Republicans being critical of anything that Donald Trump says because they're always terrified of him. And in this case, he actually got some friendly fire. He actually got called out for it. And his you know, reaction sense and his rhetoric sense and has just been very much kind of towing really the country line on this at this point. I mean, this is one of those things where it shouldn't be and hasn't been overtly partisan. The response that you see from all corners is, yeah, what's going on is an atrocity. This is bad. This is terrorism. This has to stop. There needs to be, uh, you, know, you know, intervention here. So when, when Trump, for the first time in a while, like, steps so far outside the mainstream of where almost everybody universally is and where certainly public opinion is, like what you're seeing since then is just cleanup. Kara, we heard from the, president, the former president yesterday. He was in Iowa. He gave a speech. And again, there was a lot of, of Israel stuff in there. Not that he wouldn't talk about it anyways, but it, it just 
feels like it's a response. Here's part of his plan. He said he wants to send ICE agents to uh, pro-jihadist rallies. He wants to deny those with extremist ideologies entry into the U.S., revoke visas, and reinstate travel bans. Well, I've always said the border crisis, it's a national security imperative. You know, we know that uh, special interest groups, uh, so many gotaways are pouring through our open border right now, and we don't know what their intentions are. We don't know who they are. We do know they're from countries that are not friendly to the United States of America. You know, I spent the first half of my career as a counterterrorism intelligence officer. And this kind of thing, as I've said before, the um, foreign Islamic extremism is alive and well. And we, when you have an open border, you have a national security crisis. And if Trump wants to shore that up, that's a good thing. Now, I would caution and think what we've seen in the past two years is the turning inward of the national security apparatus onto American citizens, conservatives in particular. That's what people talk about when we say the woke weaponization of these agencies. So we, we've seen it in big tech as well. I worked for Facebook, uh, and, uh, you know, it's a big problem. I went there for counterterrorism analysis, and, and now we're starting to see um, a, a creep of uh, redressing what they call the bias towards foreign Islamic terrorism. So I think we have to be careful when we talk about pushing agencies and, and frankly, who they target. What about those Trump comments? But this is the level of complexity with which Trump approaches all foreign policy. This is what he said. This person's an idiot. This person's smart. <laughs> he said it about Putin. He said it about Kim Jong-un. Right. I mean, that's what you're looking at. That's how he approaches foreign policy. He doesn't probably really care about the history all that much or about the geopolitics. It's just that now it's extremely salient because we have a major war that, yes, some people, especially in the Republican Party, had concerns about in 2021 when these conflicts initially flared up in May and we were withdrawing from Afghanistan. But now people are looking at Trump's comments and saying, maybe that's not who I want to be in control of the U.S. military. You know, the visual, too, is interesting. We talked about pictures being worth a thousand words. Think about this. Trump is talking from a courthouse. Later on, the president will be speaking from Israel. Right. All right. Well, turning now to our uh, nation's highest court. The Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett is the latest member of the bench to address ethics uh, concerns within the Supreme Court. She expressed support for an official code of conduct while speaking at the University of Minnesota Law School. Watch. I think it would be a good idea um, for us to do it, particularly so that we can communicate to the public exactly what it is that we're doing in a clearer way than perhaps we have been able to do so far. The justice also emphasized that all nine justices are committed to holding themselves to the highest ethical standards. What do you make of the comments uh, from Amy Coney Barrett there? Surprising, actually. I mean, to, to the degree that several of her colleagues have been absolutely against any notion of this saying even that there that they're no law. Yeah applies to them. Uh, I guess that's why the New York Times is saying nice things about it. So, oh, I'm glad you went there. So th th I woke up, there's a story in the New York Times, which is how I learned about this and read about it. Here's a part from the New York Times earlier today. Uh, headline, Justice Barrett calls for Supreme Court to adopt an ethics code. That's, you know, the headline. Goes on to say, Justice uh, Barrett described throwing a welcome party for Justice Kentaji uh, Brown-Jackson, the newest justice and the first black woman on the court. After some sleuthing, Justice Barrett said she discovered her colleague's love for the musical Hamilton and hired a Broadway actor to serenade her. And I'm like, wait a minute. The New York Times is saying nice things about Amy Coney Barrett. Hold on, because I remember back in October of 2020, stuff like this. 
New York Times, quote, the philosophy that makes Amy Coney Barrett so dangerous. Do we really want our rights <laughs> being determined by the understandings of centuries ago? It was an opinion piece. <laughs> but, like, if you read that story in the New York Times today, yeah. when did the opinion on, on Amy Coney Barrett start to change that we're talking about, like, life is her as a mother and throwing surprise gifts for the Supreme Court? They uh, broke the Hillary Clinton email story. I mean, that you know, ambitious journalists will occasionally do things that are objectively <laughs> newsworthy. But look, she's, yes, she's extraordinarily conservative, but she's a principled person. I wasn't surprised by this at all. And I think it's probably a good thing for the court for people to see them as ethical and beyond reproach. Makes me wonder what she possible. really thinks about everything surrounding uh, her colleague, uh, Clarence Thomas. You think that's, do you think she was saying it without saying it? I mean, this whole conversation is happening in part because of how much has been reported and investigated about Clarence Thomas's activity yeah. specifically. It's like not an accident. I think that this, this comment is made at the backdrop of all that happening. But also over half of Americans right now have an unfavorable view of the Supreme Court, you know, part of the erosion of trust in our institutions. This is a massive problem. Um, As you said quite well, she's always been a principled person. And I think the New York Times feels like it might have a little bit of cover right now because she hasn't been the conservative bomb thrower that we expect out of a Clarence Thomas or a Justice Alito. She's been very measured in her decisions. And so they they probably maybe will say, hey, come come over to our side, Amy. The water's fine over here. Don't do it, Amy, but... All right, so before we go to break, uh, I want to give you a live look right now at Andrews Air Force Base. That, of course, is where uh, Air Force One flies out of, um, and we are being... There you go, live look. Uh, We are expecting to see President Biden's motorcade uh, roll up any moment now. If that camera were to pull wider, you can kind of see the... uh, the right side of your screen there, the steps. We anticipate seeing President Biden arrive at and, uh, Joint Base Andrews. Uh, he will then, of course, get aboard Air Force One and fly to Israel. A meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the docket there. Uh, we also know now know that a meeting with the Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas will not be happening. That was canceled uh, as a result of the ongoings and uh, that hospital inside Gaza and all the questions surrounding it at this hour. Live look at Air Force One as President Biden set to depart for Israel momentarily. Well, coming up, the president's uh, visit to Israel. As that happens, two of his adversaries are meeting as well. Russia's Vladimir Putin and the Chinese leader Xi Jinping. So what is their next move? Morgan Ortegas joins us on the other side when The Hill on News Nation returns. Welcome back here to The Hill. While President Biden heading to Israel momentarily, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, today is in China. It's a visit that will include a meeting, of course, with his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping. Now, both Putin and Xi have refrained from condemning Hamas directly. And their alignment over the war between Israel and Hamas reflects their broader geopolitical ambitions, eroding American power around the world. Morgan Ortegas, of course, is the former State Department spokesperson during the Trump administration and joins us live. Hello, Morgan. You got me? There you are. Um, I did. So uh, what do you make of this? Um, She, Putin, meeting. We obviously know what's going on in the Middle East right now. Um, Timing not coincidental, probably. 
No, well, but they meet all the time. In fact, if anybody was paying attention over the past decade, the past 10 to 12 years, the two of them met with each other more than they met with any other world leaders. Uh, so they have had a very strong partnership, a very strong friendship. Um, and this Historically, a lot of people didn't think that this relationship with Russia and China was going to go anywhere because they thought, again, historically, there was too much animosity, long-simmering tensions between the two nations. Uh, but actually, what we have seen is a, is a new partnership between the two of them that, again, this is something that people like me were watching for the past decade. And I think uh, too much of the groupthink in Washington sort of blew this off and didn't think mm. that it was a real partnership. Now we know in one of the last meetings that the two of them had together, um, Xi Jinping said, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that there's going to be a change in the world order that the world hasn't seen in 100 years. Uh, and, and that's essentially what he said. He was obviously talking about this in the context not only of Russia invading Ukraine, as they have done so and waged war for the past 20 months, but who knows what else Xi Jinping was referring to. We do know that he has ordered his military, the PLA, to be ready for an incursion, for some sort of military incursion over Taiwan by 2027. And, uh, and, and I would remind you, amongst everything that's going on in the Middle East, uh, who supplies Russia with the suicide drones and with a lot of the technical equipment, military hardware uh, that hurts Ukrainian civilians? It's Iran. And so hmm. the Biden administration's policy towards Iran has done nothing but undermine uh, their own policy towards Russia. And now, of course, we see the attacks that have been enabled due to the $80 yeah. billion dollars that Iran has received over the past three years. Yeah. And you talk about the relationship, Morgan, China and Russia, uh, for example, just a few examples here. Trade has grown 30 percent this year. More than a third of Russian oil exports end up heading over to China. Half of the cars mm -hmm. in Russia right now come from China. Um, what does all this mean for Israel as these two meet? You know, historically, Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, actually has had a relationship with Russia. Uh, when you start to look around what's going on in the region, you had the Syrian civil war for 10 years. And Israel was very much active in hitting targets in Syria, especially Iranian targets. Um, they always sort of told us, hey, listen, we're keeping this relationship with Putin because we need to be able to take action against Iran and Syria. Uh, there also are a lot of uh, Jewish Russians who have immigrated uh, to Israel. So while we haven't always loved the relationship, there has been one there. Uh, Israel did start to have some, um, uh, some economic relationship with China. Uh, that's something during the Trump administration under Mike Pompeo that we really held a firm line with them and said, listen, this is like, this is a non-starter. Like, you guys can't buddy up uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. And so that relationship has been much more distant. Uh, but I would say that there is a, I just spoke about this in New Hampshire, actually, over the weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a new uh, axis of terror, axis of evil, if you want to use George W. Bush's right. old line uh, back in the early 2000s, and that is Iran, Russia, and China uh, teaming Morgan. up. Um, you have people that don't want democracy that are teaming up against us. Morgan, sorry to jump in, and, and, and thank you for the time and perspective. Uh, appreciate it. I'm jumping sure. in. We'll, ca we'll catch you in studio or we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Morgan. Um, I'm jumping in because here is a live look. Joint Base Andrews, the President of the United States, about to hop aboard Air Force One. Um, he will get aboard Air Force One and then make the, I don't know, 10-hour flight, give or take, something like that, to Jerusalem, uh, to Tel Aviv, rather. And he will have meetings in Israel uh, tomorrow, meeting with the uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Let's listen in for a second. Nothing from the...
president there, you see a, a wave, uh, a handshake on Air Force One. He goes for a very couple consequential days for the commander in chief. Want to go over to the White House. Let, let's keep these pictures up real quick. Actually, well, he's on, so we're good. But um, want to go over to the White House. Kelly Meyer uh, is standing by there for us. Kelly, I, I know you've got some breaking news as well to report on the president's trip and who he won't be meeting with. Kelly? Yeah, Blake, you know, he's taking off for this uh, historic, high-stakes, high-risk trip to Israel. He was also set to go to Jordan to meet with leaders from Jordan, Egypt, the Palestinian Authority president. Earlier, uh, the Palestinian Authority president, a top official for him, said that that meeting was called off. Uh, he has going back to the homeland for an emergency meeting. Now we're learning that Jordan, uh, the Jordan Ford minister, is telling state TV that the entire meeting is off now. They won't be meeting uh, in this summit that was set for Wednesday with President Joe Biden. All of this, the fallout from that explosion at that hospital in Gaza, where we don't know who is responsible for that yet. We're still learning more about that. But this is just the fallout we're seeing within the last several minutes, several hours of uh, these changes as the president literally gets on the plane to head on this trip, Blake. All right. Kelly Meyer live for us at the White House. President Biden aboard Air Force One heading now to the Middle East. Kelly, thank you. Well, coming up, uh, forget about inflation. Hmm? Americans are getting dragged down by funflation. You can keep inflation there, but there's also this thing known as funflation. Is it too expensive nowadays to have fun? We'll get into it coming up after the break. This is an important message from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Mining fatalities, accidents, and injuries are preventable. Taking a minute to approach your task safely can protect you and your fellow miners from injury and death. Staying alert and focused can keep you safe. Do it safe. Do it right. Whether buckling a seatbelt or securing equipment, these quick safety measures can prevent injuries and fatalities. Take time. Save lives. For more resources, visit MSHA.gov. At Doctors Without Borders, we put patients first. And we go where we're needed most. We believe people deserve to be treated with compassion and dignity. We treat our patients completely free of charge and without regard to race, religion, or politics. And thanks to the 6 million people around the world who support our work, Doctors Without Borders will continue to put our patients first. Now you can discover the mysteries of ham radio. Using modern transceivers, you can make friends all over the world, even talk to astronauts in space, ships on the high seas, and flying aircraft thousands of miles away. Unlike phone users, ham radio operators talk absolutely free and provide vital communications during disasters or emergencies. To find out more about ham radio, visit us at ARRL.org. And remember, unlike the Internet, we crisscross the entire globe wirelessly. Babes, what are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember? Smokey Bear says... Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this? Oh, it's on... SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips. Right. Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. This is Kelly Meyer. Get my podcast, Kelly in the Capital, at newsnationnow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Israel at war. Tensions continue to flare up here in the Middle East. Senior officials saying that they are prepared for a ground invasion. There is a war here. That's the only way it can be played out. For continuing coverage of Israel at war, stay tuned to News Nation. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. I'm Naheem Hines, proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom has muscular dystrophy, and the MDA helps her and kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. And MDA funds over 150 care centers for kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Learn more at MDA.org today. Hey, ACC fans, the ACC is on the CW. A new era has begun. All the guys are just ready to have fun. And everybody's caught the fever. I think energy can be really contagious. I'm just having fun. For ACC football on the CW. Ready to go. Yeah, let's go. I got goosebumps. Let's go. See all your favorite teams and all your favorite players. It's a totally different energy this year. All ready to make history. Pass on and get after it. It's go time. ACC football live Saturday on the CW. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. We, of course, continue to monitor what's going on in the Middle East. You just saw the president getting aboard Air Force One. There's the House Speaker's race. What are Republicans going to do? What might they not do? Who knows? All these questions. And then, of course, there's still the economy. And did you see this from a year ago? A headline in Bloomberg said, quote, forecast for U.S. recession within the year hits 100% in blow to Biden. The date, October 17th. 2022. Here we are on October 17th, 2023, Kara, and that clearly did not happen. Did the president dodge a bullet? Uh, I think he might have a little bit. However, this sounds to me kind of like fun with numbers here. Uh, we know that the definitions of in recessions have changed. The definitions of vaccines have changed given political uh, issues <laughs> of the day. But what do we know? We, we know that since Biden took office, prices across the board have risen more than 17%, but many staples have far exceeded that figure. So we know when we go to the store that things are vastly more expensive. Don't believe your eyes and ears. Believe what you can actually see what you're paying for. And to me, uh, we are in dire straits. So I don't know. You can change definitions all you want. You know you're a Republican operative when you can weed uh, anti-vaccine sentiment into economic analysis. I'm actually a researcher for a C3 (laughs) policy institution. My my apologies. But the the truth of the matter is, is that under Joe Biden's leadership, the United States economy has dramatically exceeded the expectations of anyone. Inflation way, way down. Real wages way up with the prospects. Well, real wages haven't kept up with inflation. When of he came course, into office, but, it was well, no, 1.7. It, it, and- it, it actually looks at your time horizon is what matters here. 
right now, real wages are exceeding the rate of inflation because inflation has gone down so precipitously. And at the same time, we are seeing unprecedented levels of investment in the critical industries, not just of today, of tomorrow, so that we can outcompete our principal geopolitical but competitors. Aren't, but people aren't feeling this. You know yeah. that. Well, look, the, the way that I see this is, is that what people are feeling right now is rightfully so, may I add, is the pain of inflation of yesterday. It is a lagging indicator. Those sentiments are a lagging indicator. And what matters is that as inflation will continue to go down and as the economy will continue to outperform all of our competitors worldwide, you will see those poll numbers go so up. So you don't think that the injection of trillions of dollars into the economy eight times the size of the New Deal when Biden was elected had a short-term effect on inflation? I, I think the principal cause of inflation was actually the massive shift in the economy towards you know a wide array of different goods that people had not normally consumed at that rate. I mean, it's, liberal, it's, it's unquestioned, though, that pumping money into the economy. If that were the case, if that were the case, there's no doubt that it has a slight impact. But my, sure. my, but okay. my, but my That's point... That's maybe what Kara's talking about. No, no, about. no. I think, I think what we are looking at here was that inflation was a global phenomenon. A global phenomenon. The economic... And we're the, the leading global economic power. No, but if you look at in current inflation numbers, look at how dramatically we are outperforming the European Union. So, as okay, well so, as so they, many he others. made it a little bit worse, and now it's better, and he's claiming credit. That's what all presidents he's not, do. He's not the. What you're what you're seeing right now is the American economy. Dramatically, whether it's inflation, whether it's GDP growth, whether it's real wages, whether it's in investments in critical industries, the United States economy is dramatically outperforming. Here's and what, Joe I, Biden here, here's what I saw because I want to bring Elizabeth Vargas in. Headline in the Wall Street Journal today: Is it getting too expensive to have fun with all the rising costs around sports games, concerts, tickets, etc.? Um, all right, let's turn back now. Uh, to Capitol Hill as the fight to decide the next Speaker of the House continues. Jim Jordan, as you know, lost the first vote. Uh, not done yet. Done for the day, but we'll see what happens tomorrow. Elizabeth Vargas report starts in about seven minutes' time. She'll discuss the chances with the Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett. He's always one of my favorite interviews, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, you uh, never know what he's going to say, do yeah. you? <laughs> now, what did you make of what happened today, and what else you got coming up? Well, listen, he was one of the congressmen, one of the eight who voted to oust McCarthy and sparked this whole crisis to begin with. Um, you know, there are a lot of congressmen who are saying uh, they're, Jim Jordan is a no-go. And over the weekend, he did a lot of sort of strong-arming tactics um, on Twitter, or now known as X, uh, trying to publicly... Uh, really sort of, according to many congressmen, bullied them into changing their votes to support him. Some are saying that's backfiring. And then, of course, you have Congressman Ken Buck, who's a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, saying he won't vote for Jim Jordan until he admits that former President Trump lost the 2020 election. And so far, Jordan isn't doing that. Uh, so it remains to be seen what will happen tomorrow. Yeah. Um, it's chaotic, to say the least. To say the least, that's one way to put it. Um, yeah. All right, looking forward to that interview. We always, always love hearing from the congressman. Elizabeth, we'll, uh, we'll see you in about uh, six and a half minutes. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Appreciate it. And remember, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas Reports 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. And before we go, uh, looking ahead to tomorrow on the Hill, a one-on-one -on -one interview, by the way, with the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis about his campaign for president. I'll speak to the Florida governor tomorrow. That's 5 o'clock Eastern only 
on News Nation. I want to see that. But before we go, uh, back to the U.S. Hap- uh, Capitol and see where Republicans stand at this hour as they decide on the next Speaker in the House. So before we go, here's where things stand right now, at least parts of it in Washington. Just about 20 minutes ago, the commander in chief got aboard Air Force One. Uh, You can see President Biden there walking up the steps. He is now headed to Israel for a consequential uh, couple of days as he now heads to the Middle East with all the ongoings there. It comes, of course, as House Republicans are trying to figure out who the next Speaker of the House might be, because there's a possibility there could be an aid package uh, that Congress would need to approve. Before we go, around the table real quick. Next Speaker of the House, who do you think it's going to be? Max? Zeldin. Lee Zeldin. Patrick McHenry, but okay, so I hope it's McCarthy. Sh- okay. Patrick McHenry. Patrick McHenry. So that's two for the short term. Kara? I'm going to have to agree with the short term patch, but I want it to be someone new blood, at least a phonic, maybe. Eh? A, right. a woman, get her in there. So we'll see where all of this heads. Um, major developments in Washington, major developments abroad. It's a really good time to hand it over to Elizabeth Vargas. And Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. 